Welcome to Med, medical education for the practicing clinician. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Whittemore, a pediatrician with the University of Utah Health, and this podcast is brought to you by the University of Utah School of Medicine. The theme of today's episode is adult learning theory and how it applies to teaching medical students and residents. With us today is Dr. Kathleen Timmy. Dr. Timmy is a pediatric endocrinologist at the University of Utah and Primary Children's Hospital, as well as the Director of Educational Development for Graduate Medical Education and the Associate Program Director for Fellow Education in the Pediatric Education Enterprise at the University of Utah. Dr. Timmy also has her own podcast entitled Teaching in Medicine that you should all check out. Welcome, Dr. Timmy. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and how you became interested in medical education? Well, thanks so much for having me on today. Um, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. I attended medical school there as well. And then afterwards, I went to Yale for pediatric residency and stayed there for endocrine fellowship. Um, I moved to the University of Utah after completing fellowship and have been here for about two years. My interest in medical education really started in residency. Um, Having residents or having interns and medical students on the team and being able to teach them was always sort of my favorite part of the clinical day. Um, I really just gravitated towards, you know, sharing the knowledge that I was finally obtaining. And then within our program, a couple opportunities came up. So I sat on a faculty subcommittee for the LCME review and really got to know some of the leaders in medical education at my former institution and I uh, took on a couple other roles from there and really just loved the idea of, you know, how do we plan to teach um, graduate medical learners. And so during fellowship, I decided to focus my scholarly project on a program called Fellows as Medical Educators, which was a curriculum for pediatric subspecialty fellows to improve their teaching skills. So it was really through that that I got into curriculum development and became really enthusiastic about how we teach people how to teach. And during fellowship is also when I started my master's of education, which I hope to finish up next year. Awesome. So when I think of adult learning theory, I just think of adults learning instead of kids. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what adult learning theory actually is and how it applies to medical education? Yeah, I think adult learning theory is just like you said, you know, we think of pedagogy, which is the practice of teaching in general. And then there's andragogy, which is the practice of teaching adult learners. And the whole premise is that teaching adults is very different from teaching, you know, primary and secondary education learners. So adults, one of the main things to keep in mind is that they come with their own experiences. They come with their own preferences for how they like to learn and their own level of baseline knowledge. And all of that has to really be respected and taken into account when teaching them. So I think adult learning theory in general is just recognizing the adult as a unique type of learner that needs to be approached in a different way than you would approach a child learner. So one thing I found as a uh, resident and now as a attending is no one really taught me how to teach adults. So how do you find that was your experience in your um, residency and fellowship? Do you feel like you were equipped with how to teach people who are also adults? I think in general, in in the medical training system, we don't do the best job at teaching each other how to teach. Oftentimes we learn based on, you know, experiences in our own education that went well, trying to emulate our best mentors, our best preceptors, and then also, you know, looking at those negative examples and thinking about, well, I didn't really like that teaching experience. This is how I would do things differently. 
fortunately, a lot of programs are now um, having more formalized opportunities for residents and even for students to develop teaching skills early on, which I think is really important. Um, for me, it was just a lot of mentorship and figuring out, you know, what worked well, what didn't work well, and then also being very reflective about my own experiences and thinking about, you know, this was a really thoughtful approach and how this attending taught me this part of a physical exam. So maybe I would, you know, start to teach in that way as well. So more like informal learning how to be a teacher versus a formal program with which hopefully we're starting to do more of now. Yeah, and then with the Masters of Education is kind of when I've started to think about it more as a, a formal process. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the program you're hoping to do for the medical students doing rural rotations in the state of Utah? Yeah, so I've had this idea for a little while, and I think the current pandemic has really um, forced me to think about making this sooner rather than later. So my scholarly interests have always been in how do we help trainees learn how to teach more effectively. And when I first came here at the University of Utah, I was working with uh, students as teachers program as a co-director, which was an early experience for first and second year students to help them gain those valuable teaching skills early on in their training and then have that opportunity to practice them later on. Um, in our you know, current environment and with Gen Y and Gen Z learners, there's definitely more of a focus on bringing technology into curricula. And so I had this idea to start a completely online asynchronous trainee as teacher program and really make it broad so that it could be useful for student learners, for resident, for fellow learners. And so I have this idea that I've um, been discussing with the root team and, you know, hopefully with other audiences as well of um, coming up with, you know, just an online trainee as teacher program. So the current vision would look like four online modules that they would complete. And these would um, include podcast episodes, videos to watch, and that's based on a needs assessment and student feedback as to how they like to receive their learning. So I think that would be more effective than, you know, a Zoom lecture or an article to read. They really like that kind of on-demand, um, more technologically savvy modalities of education. So the four modules that I will be creating are quick clinical teaching, so more um, teaching at the bedside, learning how to teach other team members, how to teach students. Um, another module will be focused on teaching patients. And then uh, uh, the next module would be on principles of adult learning, and finally, how to give effective feedback. And then I'd also like to build in some experiential encounters, so having the students or the trainees teach a patient and ob obtain some feedback from that experience and also have the, having them teach their preceptor and any other learners who are in their clinical setting and then really just have some reflection and some feedback after those encounters. So they start with the modules, they get a basic foundation in teaching and then they practice through the experiential encounters. And then to wrap things up, they would do a reflective written assignment just to kind of tie in everything that they learned and uh, give an opportunity for me as a course director to provide some, some direct feedback on their learning. Cool. That sounds really interesting. Um, for those of us who don't know, and I didn't know this until about six months ago, what exactly is asynchronous learning? Yeah, so, you know, synchronous learning would be, you know, if I'm the instructor and you're the student and we're in the same room at the same time teaching and learning, asynchronous just means that 
the content, um, receiving the content can kind of occur, you know, on your own schedule. So uh, basically you would create, you know, whether it's a videotaped lecture or podcast or whatever the educational material is, have it housed somewhere, such as a learning management system, and then the learner can access it really at any time that's convenient for them. Um, so it doesn't, the teaching and the learning don't necessarily have to take place with the teacher and the learner in the same room at the same time. So a lot of online programs are asynchronous. Mm -hmm. Is that tied at all into adult learning theory and how that differs from children? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very respectful to the uh, needs and, and interests of adult learners. Um, adult learners often have, you know, their own um, and their own life outside of education and whether that's family responsibilities that they have or you know just variations in work schedule um, that asynchronous approach really allows people to access learning when it's convenient for them um, and also with adult learning theory you know people come to the adults come to the table with sort of a readiness to learn um, to achieve a specific end so with the online program, I would hope to have, you know, very relevant topics. And this is all based on student and resident feedback of what they would like to learn. I think that's something really important to keep in mind with adults that, you know, it has to be tailored to what they need um, to accomplish what they need to accomplish in, in sort of a more immediate future. And so giving them the skills to teach effectively, to interact with patients, um, those will all have like very immediate rewards and they should be motivated to obtain those skills. Yeah, when I was um, preparing for this, I was thinking about the different types of adult learning theories. So I just thought it really meant that adults learn different than kids. And as you've given us some examples, it's definitely true. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the different adult learning theories and if there are any in particular that you think apply to medical student education more so than others? Yeah, so I think when we talk about adult learning theory, um, the main you know, person that comes to mind is Malcolm Knowles. And he's um, really one of the masterminds behind andragogy. And with Knowles, there are six assumptions of adult learners. And so I can kind of go through those for the group. So the first is self-concept, which means that your learners are capable, they're self-directed, and they kind of have their own set of beliefs about who they are and what they want to accomplish. Um, the second assumption is that adult learners come with past learning experiences. So they may already have teaching experience, they may already have clinical experience, and really kind of meeting where your learner where they're at and tailoring your teacher to their needs is really important and you know acknowledges that every adult learner is a unique individual. Um, adults also come with a readiness to learn, so they're really eager to learn what they need to do in order to achieve X, Y, and Z. So if we think back to residency, you know, we were very eager to learn pediatrics because we knew in just a few short years we would be pediatricians and would absolutely need to know this information. Um, so we were ready to learn it. And then they also have practical reasons for learning. So even outside of medicine, you can think of, you know, if your car isn't working and you're trying to do some troubleshooting, you may watch a YouTube video or, you know, try to learn something because it has a practical, immediate application. Um, adults are also internally motivated. So they are often motivated for, 
you know, maybe a new job or more opportunities. And so they, you know, if you think about an elementary school learner who maybe doesn't love math and still goes to math class and, and goes through the day, um, adult learners are usually very motivated for the topic that they're learning about. And then the final assumption is that adults need to know why. So th I think this is very important with medical student learners in particular, is to highlight why what you're teaching them is relevant. And I think this happens, especially if you're in a specialty that the student doesn't think they're going into, they might not really realize, you know, why what you're teaching them is important. But as we all know, it's important to be a well-rounded physician. And so, you know, if I have somebody with me in clinic and pediatrics who I know, for example, wants to go into surgery, maybe I would highlight some of the aspects of the physical exam or patient presentations that might be relevant for somebody going into that field down the line. So really highlighting, you know, why what you're doing is important, I think will allow your learner to tune in a little bit more strongly. So yeah, Malcolm Knowles is the, is the main um, theorist that I think of with adult learning theory. And I can think of maybe with that student, if you have a poorly controlled diabetic, their wound from surgery isn't going to heal as well or something like that. Exactly. You have to find those little pearls to keep it relevant for that learner. Mm -hmm. um, and do you think it differs when you're interacting with a medical student versus a resident or a nursing student or in what way? Or do you think it's all kind of the same because they're all adults? I mean, I think the general approach should be similar and not assuming what past experiences are and really taking the time to get to know your learner and say, you know, we're going to see a patient with diabetes today. Have you ever seen a patient with diabetes before? What do you know about diabetes? Um, you know, for all we know, the student might have diabetes and you would have a very different conversation um, based on what their own past experiences are. I think the one big difference as you sort of move up the up the chain in medical education, so moving from student to resident to fellow to a junior attending, is that you become a little bit more uh, differentiated and a little more specialized. So I think, you know, when a medical student is in clinic, it's even more important to highlight the relevance and importance of what you're doing and why they're learning it. Whereas if I have a pediatric resident with me in clinic, I think they more immediately see the relevance of what they're doing. Um, so I spend a little bit less time kind of obtaining buy-in for the educational experience. Um, but yeah, I think all of those principles are important for any adult learner, whether it's medical student or resident, just really meeting them where they're at, um, valuing that they come to the table with their own experiences and highlighting the reason why you're teaching them what you're teaching. And since you've um, gotten feedback from students, and I'm guessing residents throughout your fellowship here, um, and then also back in Yale, what do you think people have told you about what's worked and what hasn't worked in terms of their experiences as a learner? Um, in terms of like clinical, clinical teaching? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I think people just value when you take the time to learn about them and to learn about their interests. So even just taking two minutes before clinic to, you know, tell them a little bit about yourself, try to figure out what they're interested in and then tailoring the experience to their needs. I think that people really appreciate that. Um, and then I just think taking those couple extra minutes, taking a little bit of extra time to explain what you're doing, um, give them the opportunity to ask questions and, you know, taking some extra time to provide feedback. So even if you're really busy, I think you could, you know, sometimes I'll do this with resident notes is if I notice maybe something, you know, in the assessment or plan um, showed that there was 
a lack of, you know, maybe I didn't explain things clearly or there was an opportunity for more teaching there, you can always email or follow up with a learner later on. And I think it's just about doing that little bit of extra effort that goes a long way. And um, many physicians and hopefully some of the people who are listening to this podcast don't work in an academic setting and they don't have time built into their schedule for teaching, but yet they have learners in their practice. What are some quick pearls or take-home points that busy clinicians working with adult learners can use to better teach students? Yeah, I mean, that can be really difficult when you have a full clinic schedule and patients every 15, 20 minutes, and then you've got two learners by your side and trying to figure out how to juggle it all. Um, There are some approaches. One is called the one-minute preceptor, and we actually have an article on a University of Utah um, platform called Accelerate that maybe we can include a link in the show notes, but there's five steps to one-minute preceptor. Uh, So one is getting a commitment. So, you know, after a learner maybe sees a patient and is presenting to you, just pick one aspect of their presentation and, you know, ask a question about it and have them commit to an answer. So whether that's, you know, so what medication would you use to treat this patient? Um, The next step is to probe for supporting evidence. So then you would just follow that up with, you know, why, why do you think that's the best plan? And then you teach a quick general principle. So you could say, uh, you know, yes, that's the right choice. This antibiotic class works for these reasons. And then the last two steps are reinforcing what was done well and correcting any mistakes. And that whole encounter can take 60 seconds and really provides them with one quick clinical teaching pearl. So my advice mm-hmm. would be, you know, if, you, if somebody saw a patient, for example, with asthma, you don't need to teach them everything you've ever learned about asthma, but maybe just focus on one small aspect of um, asthma care or physical exam and just take that one tiny pearl and highlight it. And then, you know, the next patient you see with asthma, you'll highlight a different pearl. So you don't necessarily need to sit down for a half hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also a lot of power in observation, which is one of the things I feel like we don't have a whole lot of time for. But even, you know, if you're with a learner for the first time, taking two minutes to watch a physical exam or a couple of minutes to listen to you know, how they introduce themselves to the family, how they start obtaining a history can give you a little bit of a sense of their baseline and then opportunities for giving direct feedback later on. So I would just focus on these things that you can do in in one or two minutes. And then I'd say the follow-up email after clinic, um, I think is very valuable. So if I had a very busy clinic day and I felt like I didn't get a whole lot of teaching in, you know, sometimes I'll just send out, these are the guidelines for hypothyroidism management and just email it to them. So you know, at least they have something that they can take away from the experience. But I agree, it is, it's very hard. Um, yeah. And not in a, just a non-academic setting. And within academics, it's hard too, for yeah. everyone, basically. Um, that's a good idea about watching them at the beginning. And I probably don't do that enough. What about, so one thing that I find challenging is like you mentioned, having more than one learner at the same time, especially if they're at different levels. How does your clinic go about it if you have a fellow and a resident and a medical student all there? Do you have them work together and see the same patients or see separate patients? Or how do you guys do that? Or does it depend on the attending? Yeah, I mean, I really think it depends on the attending. Sometimes if I have like a more senior learner, like a resident or a fellow and a more junior learner, like a medical student, especially in their first few days rotating with us, I might have the student sort of shadow the resident, um, see how they obtain a history and physical before I divide them up to kind of do do their own things. Um, if clinic is busy enough, I'll, I will then often try to split them and have, you know, a student see one patient, a resident see another patient, 
or maybe, you know, a resident's in with a patient and I'm talking to the student about, okay, this is what I'm going to be listening for in the presentation. We're going to do the thyroid exam together. Um, I think there's a, a lot of ways to integrate two people. And then, you know, really anything that you're doing in your clinical day is a learning opportunity. So even if you're going on up to date and you're trying to remember, you know, what's the appropriate dose of this medication and got somebody sitting next to you, you can always say, hey, you know, I, this is how I look up um, medication dosing. This is where I find this information. So even stuff that doesn't necessarily seem like true clinical learning, um, really anything that you're doing during those clinic hours is an opportunity to, to show somebody how to do it. Right. And even to show them how you write a note, because as you know, we spend lots of time in front of a computer and I feel like we don't necessarily learn that as well as a medical student as maybe we should too. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said about learning efficiency in an EMR that is probably just as important of a, sur of a survival skill as some of our clinical teaching. Right. For sure. I remember as a resident, learning how to teach medical students was kind of empowering because you realize that you actually know something and that you can impart knowledge on another learner. What are you doing with the residents in education at the University of Utah to help with that? Yeah, so at the University of Utah, we have over 900 residents and fellows. So um, while it would be great to offer one centralized resident as teacher program, it's not really feasible or realistic. So what I've been doing is helping support all of the individual resident as teacher efforts. And so what we're aiming to do is to create this repository of information that individual programs can pull from. So we have articles on this platform called Accelerate, which are really quick um, lessons that clinician educators can go through that hopefully help them with their teaching skills. I also have the podcast, so we're going to have a series this fall um, specifically focused on different teaching skills and how to build those up, and hopefully those will be relevant for resident as teacher programs. And then I'd like to start a resident as teacher workshop series, so maybe a couple times a year, having interested residents get together and focus on a specific clinical teaching topic. And fortunately with Zoom, that will allow us to have many learners, you know, in um, have, having access to those kind of opportunities. So I'm hoping to start something like that in the fall. Uh, so those are the main things. And then I do provide some consultations to individual programs trying to think about, you know, what they might want to do differently with their resident as teacher programs and work with them one-on-one -on -one, um, to help build a program that meets their specific needs and then also help them to think about how you might assess the impact of a curriculum um, to contribute to their educational scholarship and also make sure that they're building something that's, you know, useful and that they can continue to improve it um, in, you know, different iterations of the curriculum. And is that more for residents how to teach medical students or how to teach patients and their families or both? So both. Um, it's a little more focused on, you know, teaching students or senior residents, teaching interns, peer teaching. Um, but I think that, you know, teaching patients is also a really important skill. So we do have some activities built around that. Mm -hmm. And do you find as being a pediatric specialist, um, do the adult learning theories come into play at all in how you teach parents versus the kid with the diabetes or, I mean, I don't really think about that to be honest when I'm working with families, but you know, your diseases are so specialized and kind of complex. I would think that maybe that be, would be applicable to you. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, so for kids newly diagnosed with diabetes, they spend two plus days with us in the hospital just focused on diabetes education. And so I've definitely revamped how I approach that teaching over time. And a lot of it has been informed by adult learning theory. So, you know, I've definitely made the mistake early on of explaining, you know, what is glucose and what is insulin and just getting, you know, very granular and basic. And then, then you take the time to get to know the family and you found, find out, you know, the parents are you know, microbiologists with PhDs and they already know this stuff like the back of their hand. So right. I think just recognizing that everybody is unique and their baseline knowledge is different. So now I, I always start the conversation with, you know, what do you already know about diabetes? Um, and then try to meet them where they're at without assuming anything. And then, right. yeah, just, you know, I think a lot of it is experiential learning and that's how we've built in, uh, built our diabetes um, education program. So most of their education actually happens with the nurse at the bedside, hands-on practice with using a glucometer, how to draw up insulin, how to give insulin, working with the pharmacist on, you know, holding a glucon, glucagon kit, how would you use that? And so it's a lot of, you know, practice and repetition, which also aligns with how adults learn best. Right. Cool. Anything else you think we should know about adult learning today? I think we covered most of it. Yeah, I would just say, you know, get to know your learner um, and really highlight why what you're teaching is relevant to them. And I think those are the best things you can do for adult learners. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it, Dr. Timmy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. As always, please visit our website to find information on obtaining CME credit for listening to the podcast, as well as to find pertinent journal articles on the topics discussed. Thanks.